0: Good morning, Southport, how are you doing? This is Kevin Garrett speaking from uh, the White Room. Uh, fortunately, it's not the Rubber Room. Before we go on, before I say anything else today, let's just take a moment to pray. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your incredible goodness. Lord, thank you for your hand upon us. Thank you that you walk before us. Lord, thank you that you come behind us. Thank you that you surround us, O oh Lord God, in every single way. We thank you for this day and we give it into your hands and we say, Lord, let your word be heard. Let your truth be known. Let your spirit speak to us this day. In the name of Jesus. So thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, David and Heather, for inviting uh, me to share a little bit. uh, Many of you remember we we spoke at uh, Southport there September 25th last year. Does that seem like a lifetime ago? It does to me in many ways. And I think it seems longer since COVID struck us and we've all been isolating. And now we have this unrest in many parts of the world, especially the Western world. Last September, when we shared, we shared about our two-year ordeal in isolation and imprisonment in China. You know what Paul calls those things? In 2 Corinthians 4.7, he says they're light and momentary troubles. Really. Well, let me say, in the midst of our ordeal, in the midst of our troubles, they did not feel light or momentary in any way. But they are, when we look at the horizon, when we look beyond ourselves. As you know, we were falsely accused. Uh, I was later convicted of espionage, sentenced to eight years in prison and then deported. But you know, and I want you to understand this, we're not spies, right? We're not, we never were. Though I did play when I was young, I spy with my little eye, but I think that's that's a little different. But you ask why, do you remember why? Why they abducted us or, or arrested us later? It's because Canada, arrested a Chinese spy right here in Vancouver, and this is where I'm speaking from today. And China took us because they wanted to trade, they wanted a bargaining chip, and we were that bargaining chip, and we were held for two years. But we're not spies, but our deal in China was life-altering, and I think that's very much of an understatement. But what I want you to know is that it's God's story that he wrote. You can read more about that in our book Two Tears on the Window and feel free to to get that and I want to talk today a little bit about the life changes that you're going through that we're all going through because all of our lives have been altered haven't they in this COVID season life is not normal we can't shop as normal we can't go out to eat as normal we can't uh, go to church as normal we have to line up for food banking is weird. When I went in the other day to the bank, they asked me all sorts of questions. Have you traveled to the U.S.? And, and I said, no, the border's closed. And have you been in contact with anyone who has COVID? not. That I know. There's all sorts of questions. Anyways, I went to Best Buy the other day. Uh, it's open now. And again, it's weird. They want to know what you want to do. You go straight to what you want to get or, or see, and then you come out. You're not allowed to browse. I mean, that's that's odd in itself. And we're separated from friends and family. You know, we had to... Celebrate our son's wedding on May 2nd over zoom. We didn't uh, have the opportunity to go there because he was married in Monroe, Washington and uh, It was actually pretty neat because more people attended the wedding than normally would have been able to do physically Uh, People from the UK, Sweden, Germany uh, all over the US and Canada and our grandparents attended or our parents our, our sons grandparents who they wouldn't have been able to attend otherwise. But I just think that's an amazing thing. It was, really, it was really good, but sure was different, that's for sure. So yes, I know life has been challenging these last couple of months with all the restrictions, the shortages of basic sometimes, uh, the two meter separation, uh, all the things that are going. I was quite surprised, I don't know if you were, but that things ran out like toilet paper and canned goods and yeast and flour and spaghetti and those kinds of things because people panicked. What about you? Did you panic? Did you wonder what was going on? Since we were deported in 2016, you know, China's kind of off the radar for us now. But God opened up a door for us to work in Myanmar and uh, formerly Burma. But that work has been affected too because of COVID. We've had to cancel two ministry trips to date. and uh, But we are planning for October. We're planning for the future because God is still at work. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a second. Because of the COVID restrictions in Myanmar, it's it's a poor country, That's about 54-55 million people, but many people have lost jobs, lost access to food, Uh, it's becoming a huge problem, especially in places of what we call IDB camps, Internally Displaced People camps, in places where we work with the poor and vulnerable, in minority villages, and in drug rehab centres, we work with churches, food is becoming a big issue. So we've sent funds for food, and that's part of our commitment to helping people there this is crisis aid but in many ways it seems like a drop in the ocean doesn't it the little bit of help we can get we can give to people but you know what i have hope because i remember what god did with a few loaves and a couple of fish what did he do he fed four thousand he fed five thousand so i know that the little bit that we can do fifty dollars a month for fa- per family is going to make a huge difference you can learn more about that if you go to nationtonation.com. And you can see our backpacks here that we've been distributing in Myanmar through our water systems that we're doing. But anyways, I will not talk about that now. I want to tell you what our partner there said. His name is Jose, he's a pastor. He oversees about 20 churches and he helps in these refugee camps, these IDP camps. And we just sent him another bit of funds. He says, hello, I withdrew the funds from KBC Bank. That's one of the main banks there. It is $6,670,000 200,000 200 jet. Now, that sounds like a huge amount. You say millions. It's millions of jet. It's not a whole lot of money, but it's something. He says, we are preparing for distribution of rice, egg, oil, and other needs for more than 300 families in the next week, Saya. Saya just means kind of teacher or kind of respected friend. Is kind of like that. He's going into these IDP camps that we went into with him before, into these rehab centers, drug rehab centers with, for desperate people. just need a little bit of help pray for them pray as he does this you know what in all this our troubles and our inconveniences our losses and our separations the problems worldwide you have to remember and we have to remember too because we can get caught up in the moment in the situation but god is sovereign he's in control and he's fully aware because he always is nothing surprises him Some people try to figure out, why is this happening? Why are we having this trouble worldwide, this little tiny virus, the COVID or coronavirus-19? I don't have an answer. I'm not a prophet that can say, this is why, you know, thus saith the Lord. I can't say that. But what I can say, and what I do know, is God's desire. And that's found in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If there's a purpose in this, if there's a purpose in anything and everything, it's that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's always his purpose. You know, long after I was convicted and then quickly deported from China on September 15th, 2016, that's coming up five years ago now, or uh, four years ago, someone asked me a question. They said, what did you learn from this experience? Which, a bit of an odd question, I know. But what immediately came to mind was, the Bible's true. Today I want to talk to you about a couple things that God highlighted and I learned in isolation and imprisonment and that I continue to learn today. When I was in prison, I had the privilege of reading through the Bible multiple times because I had a lot of time on my hands. For 19 months, I was just in a cell with 14 other people, and for the... Six months before that, both Jill and I were in isolation and being interrogated, but my plan every day was always I'd get up, I'd read Psalms, then I'd read the Gospels, I'd go back to the Old Testament, to the New Testament again. One day I was reading Habakkuk, and God highlighted some things to me. So I want to look at that and how maybe it applies to today, and I think it does. Habakkuk, of course, is a minor prophet. Uh, Maybe we would call him a professional prophet. He was trained in the Law of Moses, and he is a educated in a kind of institute for training prophets and learning about everything that was to do with prophets those days it would be maybe like a bible college maybe like today's seminary habakkuk's prophecy his book of prophecy was directed to a world that seemed to be on the edge of disaster maybe that's what it seems like today for us really he was writing when there was a very real and imminent threat threat from the babylonians they were going to invade And they were going to invade because of sin in the camp. There was sin in Judah, and God said, This is judgment is coming. There were dark clouds on the horizon. Habakkuk saw these. So he decides to write to God. He's not writing to the people of Judah, he's writing to God. He writes a complaint mixed with prayer, and then in chapter two, he speaks a decree. Those are the first two chapters of Habakkuk. It's only a short book, three chapters. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 3. That's where I want to focus today. Let's read the first two verses. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk starts this chapter, chapter 3, by remembering who God is. He says, he turns from complaint to prayer and really to praise, right? He knows that evil and sin must be punished. But he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. He knows what God has done. He knows who God is. He's seen his deeds. He's seen his work. He's seen God move in difficult and really impossible situations. He's seen him come through again and again, as you and I have, right? We've seen God come through again and again. He knows who God is. He knows God must punish sin But he says also, in wrath, remember mercy. God is merciful. But when Habakkuk gets to this third chapter, he's kind of like, to me, he's like wondering, God, what are you up to? Why this Babylonian invasion, the Chaldean invasion of Judah? I think he's wondering that. Maybe you're wondering what God's doing in this COVID season, in this uprising, in this Upheaval that we're experiencing in many ways. Maybe you want to complain to God, but maybe you're enjoying because now the restrictions are lift, lifting just a little bit. But here, Habakkuk is not complaining. He's remembering. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. It's not past. You know, it, it is. He's remembering the past, yes. But it's present, his awe. He's standing in awe of who God is right now. Because, you know, God has not changed. Despite the dark clouds looming on the horizon and the sin in Judah, God is still exactly the same. Habakkuk here, to me, he's choosing to trust, to believe in God, who he is, what he has done, instead of focusing on the doom and the gloom, the dark clouds on the horizon. You know, in prison, in those six months of isolation, 19 months in prison, I had to choose too. I knew who God was. But sometimes in the moment you you miss, you forget who God is. I had to choose. I could look down at the situation and become incredibly depressed. Or I could choose which I chose to remember who God is, what he has done, and that he will do it again, and that the Bible is true. You know, the, the dark clouds for me were threats of execution. That was that was dark. Okay? They threatened execution. They did many things like that. And it was, it was hard. It was incredibly, incredibly difficult. But again, I learned, and I still learn every day, that God is who he says he is, that he does what he says he will do. I know it's by the grace of God we can even take a breath. You know that, right? But I also learned that to trust God, to rejoice, is a choice. Every single day, it's a choice to rejoice in God. I like that, Re- choice to rejoice, right? Be joyful and choose to follow God. Just because he has turned our lives on its, on their heads, God is still the same. He's not changed. You know, our life upheaval began on August 4th, 2014. It lasted 775 days. That's over two years. In that isolation cell and later in prison cell with 14 inmates, every single day and throughout the day, I had to choose to follow Jesus. Not to become a follower, I was already a follower, but choose to follow what he was doing. You know, if you're following a leader, and you have a leader in your church, you have a leader at work, you know, but if we're following Jesus, our leader, we have to keep an eye on who he is, not always so much where we're going, because our leader is leading us, right? We trust Google, we trust our GPS, which doesn't always work, but tries to, right? But do we trust God and where he's leading us and where he's taking us? Do we? To get us through the hazards, get us through the troubles, get us through the difficult times to our final destination. We have to choose to trust. Habakkuk had to choose to rejoice, to choose to believe that what God was doing by sending the Babylonians, and they did come, that this was part of God's good and perfect plan. Yeah, this, the dark clouds are still there, right? But we can choose. We can choose to follow, or not. Uh, what comes to mind to me is uh, kind of a, a picture of World War II, a sort of picture of an army platoon leader, and he's uh, crouching in a, a foxhole with his men, right? And then he gets up, and you get this really heroic guy. He stands up, and the enemy's shooting all around, and he says to his men, "Come on, we're going ahead." He leads them out of the foxhole into the thick of the battle. The bullets flying around everywhere. And yes, it's dangerous, and it's hard. But it's the only way through, and you go because you trust the leader. You don't think of all the danger. When I went into that prison cell, I had to trust my leader, who was Jesus, that he knew where where he was leading me, where he was taking me. And our leader, far better than Google or GPS or any World War II hero, he's perfect. He knows what he's doing. Remember Isaiah 43. Verses 1 to 3, the Lord says, He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. He's speaking that to you. When you pass through the waters, when you go through this COVID season, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. This will not overcome you. When you walk through the fire of whatever it is you're going through, or might go through, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. He is. God walks with us through all the challenging and difficult things, no matter what they are, whether it's COVID or upheaval or job loss or many other things. But I know, because I did this, that in the moment, it's easy to forget. In the weeks and months of difficulty, it's easy to forget that God is sovereign, that he's in charge, that he knows what's going on and what he's doing. We focus sometimes on our pain or on the circumstances, our loneliness or our lack. Sometimes it's our routines we miss, going to Tim Hortons or whatever it is, your routine, you miss those things. In prison, in isolation, I certainly did miss things. I missed many things. I missed Julia, my wife, my children, recognizable food, our work and ministry, coffee, I miss coffee. But that's another story I won't go into today. And as I mentioned, both Julie and I went through six months of isolation and interrogation. It was painful. No communication. Once a month, we had a 30-minute consular visit. In prison, that was hard. And it was certainly not fun. And that's another very much of an understatement. Our isolation was a bit more severe than today's. We couldn't order pizza, no internet, No cell phone, no Zoom calls, no church services online like this one today. Sometimes I wonder how we survived. But I know it's by the grace and mercy of God that he carries us through. You know, at the end of chapter three of Habakkuk, he remembers after his complaint, after his prayer, after his decree, the enemies approaching, the Babylonians or Chaldeans as some verses say, he makes a deliberate decision If you look down to verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter 3, let me read those, couple of verses there. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk is saying, even though things remain bleak, even though the Babylonians are coming, everything's desolate, there's dark, there's dark clouds all around He's saying, yet I will rejoice. I will make a choice to rejoice. He says, I'll still choose. I'll still choose to rejoice in you, Lord. I'll still choose to believe in you, to trust in you, because he knew who God was. He knew who God is, and he knows he can trust him because he's the leader. It may be hard. And, yet, and again, prison was more than hard. And I don't know how else to describe it except it was incredibly, incredibly painful. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble. But he says again, But take heart. I have overcome the world. And he has. In my choosing to trust God in prison, it wasn't my will or any strength I had. I couldn't muster up that courage or strength. But it was me desperately, crying with deep gut-wrenching cries to God, often in Him answering, in a sovereign, incredible way, as He always does. Sometimes that came through a song that was dropped into my mind. Sometimes an act of kindness in the cell. Sometimes there was a word dropped into my heart. Oftentimes there's a word on the pages of my Bible, because I had my Bible from the beginning, I fought for that. Most often it was from the Word, because I would get up every day and early, 3 or 3.30 in the morning, spend two or three hours in my quiet time. I had to be quiet because there were 14 other inmates sleeping in the same cell. But the lights were on 24-7, so that wasn't an issue. And at times God spoke such encouraging words, and He gave me understanding in the Scriptures those early mornings, sometimes I just wanted to shout out, shout for joy, say, hallelujah, or more. But I couldn't, because I had those 14 other guys sleeping there, some of them snoring, yes, a lot. One time I was feeling very low, and uh, we had an outdoor area, part of our cell. That was a, I called the cage, an cage area. It was attached to the cell, and sometimes they'd open that door for us, and we could go out and, and just get a bit of fresh air. We could see the sky, things like that. You know, in prison things would be incredibly monotonous and this one particular day I was feeling way down. I was just, maybe I was focusing on the situation and not on who God was, and those days did come. But this particular day they led us out into the cage, and then, let me just read this one short paragraph from our book. So says, I dragged my aching body to the far end of the cage, trying to control my tears and it was really hard. Holding on to the bars, I hid my face and I cried. God, I can't do this anymore. And I was incredibly serious. I could not go on. As I stared at the mountains of brown dirt between me and the next wing, poking through the dirt in front of me was a dandelion. A beautiful, bright, yellow dandelion. How amazing to see this color. I felt like God put that dandelion there just for me. In that drab gray prison cell, that dandelion renewed my hope that God was at work again so that I could, yes, rejoice in God again, because he was there. And I think Habakkuk was much the same. I don't mean he was in prison. I mean, he called out to God for mercy, and he answered, God answered. And in the end, he chose to have confidence in God and who God was and what he was doing. He says, yet I will rejoice. No matter what, he will rejoice because he knows who God is. He's heard of his fame. He knows it. During this COVID upheaval season, we wondered too, ourselves, what's going to happen? Would support drop off? We can't go to Myanmar now, we don't know for how long. Even sharing our story in churches, we've had cancellations and things like that. What would happen? Can I tell you a simple story? Because it's just a story of God at work, reminding me, reminding us again and again, that he's at work and you can we can rejoice because he's at work and he always is so some weeks ago COVID restrictions were just coming into place churches are not allowed to meet and you you know that i talked with a pastor whose church was supporting us monthly and he said to me sorry kevin we're gonna have to stop our support of you because giving is way down And I, you know there was an incredible peace in me and i just thought that's okay i was calm i was not worried i understood and because I chose, you know, God, you know what's going on in that church. You know what's you know our needs, they're not hidden from you. That very same day, that very same day, we get two checks in the mail that made up for 85% of the loss. And I thought, God, again you wanted to show us, again, you wanted to show me that. He says, I'll take care of your needs. He says, I am Jehovah Jireh, I will do it for you. Don't worry, rejoice you know what's going on. What's gonna happen when the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines? What's gonna happen when we lose our job and we're laid off, our house burns down, our bank account is being drained, the economy is breaking down, the healthcare system being strained, we can't see friends or kids or grandkids, we're stuck, we're quarantined. What's the answer to it? The answer is in verse 19. Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That's the answer. It wasn't my strength in prison in those two years. I had none. It was God's strength. Daily, moment by moment, I called to God in my weakness, and in my weakness became his strength. And that's that's 2 Corinthians 12.9. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, and it's sufficient for every single situation, no matter what. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In weakness, we are made strong. That's how it works. It wasn't anything I did except to cry out to God day after day. And he's present in this COVID situation, in this COVID season. He showed it with that church and then those two checks that came made up the loss. You know, God knows. He knew when we would be abducted and put in isolation. And my prayer was not very eloquent at the beginning. It was, God, get me out of here this very minute. But I learned, and I'm still learning, that God's plan is so much better. Can I tell you another story? Simple stories of just God at work, because he's always at work. A short time ago, we were in a lineup in MCC, which is a Mennonite Central Committee, and they have a thrift store. It's a fairly large one here in Abbotsford. It's a, it's really a giant thrift store, uh, huge. We've been waiting in line for it to open and of course everyone has to stand two meters apart and we're, you know, go in, so only so many people in the, the store at a time and so we're waiting our turn. And Julie struck up a conversation with the lady behind us. You know, it came out a bit of our story about our book and, you know, Julie said, you know, our book's Two Tears on the Window. You can look at it at tearsinthewindow.com. And um, it was just a really neat little meeting. Uh, this lady never knew her, she was a stranger to us. We went into the store, of course, we were looking around for a few things we were hoping to get, and uh, this lady comes across us in, somewhere in there. She says, I just wanna give you this $20 for your purchases today. And I just thought, how neat is that? This stranger heard a little brief bit of our story and she was, just, she was moved, and I believe by God and she gives us $20 for our purchases, which is amazing. And later, we hear from her in an email. She searched us out, she looked on our, our website, the book website, She's contacted us, contacted us and she says, hey, could you use a TV? How about a rug? And she lists a couple other things and we said yes. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? From a little meeting in a little thrift store, or a big thrift store. And when I get there, I get to pick up the TV and pick up this rug. And I just like, wow, that's, that's really cool. She says, yeah, we just want to give you these. She says, this TV is from a friend. She wants to remain anonymous. And then she handed me an envelope to go with the TV. And inside was $200. She, my friend, she said, my friend who wants to remain anonymous just says, you might need this to hook up the TV. So be blessed. And God, you know, he continually amazes us. He continually answers so many times even before we ask. We weren't asking for anything. We weren't looking for anything. But God says, hey, I just want to show you, I'm still at work. I'm still right here. I know what's going on. Because he's fully aware of everything. He's fully aware of your needs. Even if you don't know their needs, he's fully aware. And these often small things, God just wants to show himself present, to remind us so that we can choose to say, yes, I will rejoice. No matter what the horizon looks like, no matter whether we see dark clouds or not, We can choose to rejoice. You know something else that became clear in that prison cell in those 775 days of detention in truly horrible conditions. In that cell that I shared with 14 others, is that God cared for those 14 others. He cared for all those people. And he wanted to bring hope to them in that hopeless situation. You know, there's 80 or 90 people who pass through my cell, and in China they have a little statistic that says they have a conviction rate of 99.9%. It could be higher than that, 99.999, I'm not sure. But basically, if you're abducted, if you're arrested, if you're put in jail, you're guilty. That's the way it works. But I learned that God wants to bring hope to those people. And he did, through questions that people ask, through sometimes people say, what are you reading? Who is this God? Who is this Jesus? Tell me about this Jesus. I got a chance to answer and since I've been released, God's desire has become even more important in my life, it's become urgent because he, God has one desire, I believe is one desire. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be saved. You now I have a bunch of cousins, relatives, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. I actually have seven cousins there. Was aunts, uncles, second cousins even a few third cousins. Two of the seven cousins are believers, the rest are not. After I was deported from China God put one particular cousin on my heart and uh, when we were younger we spent summers together we spent a lot of time together. My uh, uncle, uh, my cousin's father, he worked for Air Canada so they got free flights all the time which was a, a huge bonus because they always came to Ontario where we lived at that time. And, uh, but then after I was saved I was 22 when I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, um, and then we went to China. Not long after that, we got married and went to China. Um, I sort of lost track of him. I mean, once in a while there'd be a little communication, or we'd be back in Canada, we would see people, but we kind of we lost we lost touch. He's about my age, actually, just a, a few months younger. And um, when I came back, God put him on my heart. And uh, it's interesting because we had our two daughters in Edmonton at the time, and a lot of family members, and we got invited to Edmonton quite a few times. So uh, I, w- I started reaching out to him, and I knew he wasn't a believer. I know he didn't want to know anything about Jesus. He says, he, you can't even say, I'll pray for you, because he would just completely shut it down. His mother, my aunt, told me one time, he said when he was 16, he read some sort of book, a book I'd like to burn if I could, but it just turned him against anything to do with Christianity. He didn't want to know anything about it. He's a, he was a nice guy. He's very, very nice, actually. Probably one of the nicest guys you meet. And I know you people, you know people like that. But he was so against God. So I was very careful. I thought, God, I'm, if I'm going to reach him somehow, I have to be, I have to walk in the wisdom that only you can give. So first time I called, he, he was kind of hesitant. He says, okay, uh, let's meet. But we met at a Tim Hortons, even though his home was not far away. And um, so I'm careful in my conversation not to, Talk about Jesus, not talk about God anymore too much. And I would try to, you know, make the conversation kind of neutral, but I mean, he knew who I was. He knew where I was coming from. If he wanted to be in a neutral place. He wanted to be in a safe place. He could leave if he needed to. So I stayed away from those names. I focused on him. I let him ask the questions. And after a little while, he felt comfortable that I wasn't going to, you know, hit him with the Bible, which I didn't bring with me, by the way. And uh, then a little bit later, he invited me to his home. I met, went to his home, met his wife, who I hadn't seen in years, his two daughters. It was a trust building. He was becoming more comfortable. I did this a few times over the next year or two, and just a little more, a little more each time, was able to share more of our story, how we got through. And then suddenly, cancer struck him. And uh, we still continue to meet when he was able and strong enough to do that. And um, you know, cancer was serious, and I thought, God, this is the time. This is what I've been waiting for. He's going to want to turn to you now because cancer is serious. His life could end. I planned another trip for to Edmonton for last August, and um, I was determined. He's going to hear. He's going to get the full meal deal. He's going to hear the whole story. God, may it be. May you open a door for that. Just before we were to go to Edmonton, he died. And I was devastated. I thought, God, how could that happen? How do you deal with that? You're reaching out to someone who's in your family. You plan a trip. You've been praying. You've been working on this relationship. and he dies. Then, in May, last month, the next brother of his, he has three siblings. So four brothers altogether. His brother committed suicide. Another blow to my aunt and uncle. These two cousins died within nine months of each other, both similar age to me. Two of four sons are now dead. How do you deal with that? I deal with that by wanting to be more and more intentional about sharing Jesus with people. It's urgent. People must know. You know, for years I've been reaching out to my father. He's never been interested, and I, I could never figure out. He's just there's no interest in Jesus whatsoever. Every time a conversation would turn, you know, anywhere towards Jesus, he would like—he'd walk away, or he didn't want to hear. My mother told me a story not too long ago. She said um, when I was born, I was taken from the hospital to go to my grandparents' home. My grandmother said uh, to my mom and dad, and "She says, look what God has done. Look at the gift God has given." My dad said, God didn't do that, I did. That's almost 60 years ago now. I'm giving away my age, I shouldn't say that. My father is now 86. I call him almost daily. But anytime time, again, the conversation edges towards anything near God or Jesus, he says, well, thanks for calling, and he has to leave. He's, he gets uncomfortable. But we must tell. And I keep praying every day. Lord, open up a door. Open his heart. There's been times he's been a little more open. But right now, he's not one of those times. And he's 86 and not in great health. We must tell. Because that's God's desires that everyone knows. And I don't mean standing on the street corners and preaching, although we've done that before in places. But I mean praying and being intentional about sharing pe- sharing Jesus with people around you. I'm not giving up on my father, even though he's 86 and there's been no interest all his life. No. I'm not giving up because two cousins died who I was trying to share Jesus with. I'm all the more determined that we must proclaim the hope that we have. We must. You know, in prison, God was at work as a, those other inmates. They watched me, the odd foreigner in this prison of 900 people. And people asked questions as I shared. They asked me about. The Bible. They asked about who is this Jesus? They wanted to know because you see, in the bleakest of times, in the darkest of times, God is still at work. And in a Chinese prison where virtually everyone is guilty, God wants to bring hope. And He wants to bring hope into this COVID situation with those around you. Maybe you're inside just so you can pray. Maybe you're stuck with a few people, or have contact with a few people, so you can minister to them. You know, there's one thing I've learned. If I had to do it all over again, prison I mean, I'd take more risks. I'd be more intentional about telling people, letting people know that life is only found in Jesus. I don't mean to be obstinate or bulliter- uh, you know, forcing it on people, but praying and looking for every opportunity, even a crack to share about jesus because that's important i don't know what you're feeling what you're thinking right now i don't know what god's saying to you but i do know one thing that he's saying to you that's found in mark sixteen fifteen, it says go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation because that's the word of god that's the bible and that's true the question really now is Will we be like Habakkuk in the midst of dark and foreboding clouds, with the enemy on the horizon, the troubles all around, disaster looming? Will we yet rejoice? When there are no grapes on the vine, no sheep in the pen, when our life has been turned upside down, will we choose to trust? Will we would choose that God knows what He's doing? Will we choose to rejoice? say yet i will rejoice but not in our own strength no we do it in the strength of god we pray and we ask god's for strength as he will do it we will trust in god's goodness in his plan and purpose are we going to flee to the mountains and just stay in our little hibernation hut, hunker down in our quarantine shelters and just wait this out or does god have a bigger purpose and a bigger plan i believe he does maybe it's in a grocery line Under a thrift store line, a conversation will start that will bring blessing to another or blessing to you. Maybe it's a neighbor who's been resistant to the gospel for years. You'll have an opportunity to speak to them of your hope and your trust. You know, what I find now is neighbors are much more willing to talk, hang outside and, and talk to people. You know, of course, keeping our two meter distance. But they're much more willing to be friendly and to be open because they're stuck. Maybe it's someone like that that you can share with the reason for the hope that you have. And you have a hope that is eternal, that can't be taken away. You have what everyone really desires and wants. I don't know that Habakkuk saw, sorry, I do know that Habakkuk saw the dark clouds on the horizon. And he remembered who God is, what he'd done. And despite what he knew was coming, what God said would come. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. We don't know what's coming. No, not at all. But we do know that we can rejoice in God. We know that he is good and what he does is good. He's our leader and we can follow him into the thick of battle and it's okay. Yeah, we might get wounded. One of those bullets might fly and hit us. We might get put in prison or taken out of commission for a little while. But God, even in that, he's good and he has a plan. And But sometimes it'll be painful and I know. I know sometimes God's plans are painful, but they're for good. I've learned, still learning, that no matter what things look like. God is present, He's at work, and He has a plan, and it's good. And we can trust Him, even though it's a bit inconvenient and maybe painful. So you, will you choose to join God in what He's doing today? In your life, and the lives around you, will you choose, even when it's really hard, Will you choose? Even when you don't understand it, will you choose? Will you say, I will rejoice in you, Lord. I will follow you no matter what you're going to do. Because that's God's desire. God's desire for you. His desire for everyone else that they come to a knowledge of him. And maybe you're watching this today and you're saying, Baloney, God can't help me. There is no God. Maybe you're like my father. God didn't do that. I did. I made my life. I worked hard. But you fail to recognize God and who he is in your life because he is in your life. There's an emptiness that says there must be more. And I know for everyone who doesn't know Jesus, there is an emptiness that says there must be more. Maybe you're like my cousin who when he was young read a book and turned his life totally against God. Maybe someone spoke to you and turned your life against God. I encourage you. I sincerely ask you ask God. Ask him to show you he's real. And that he's at work and that he's present. You know, when I was 22, I asked that question. I said, God, are you real? I just asked that a very simple question. And God showed me in a profound and amazing way that he was real. And that led to me, about a month later, becoming a follower of Jesus. Will you ask? You don't have to believe my words believe when God shows you because he will we can hope in God yes we can rejoice in God even if things look difficult because at times they will Southport thank you choose today to rejoice in God but don't choose it on your own strength choose it in the strength that you ask God to give you because he will do it remember God is at work he really is. There might be dark clouds around, COVID or whatever it might be. They appear on the horizon and they get darker and darker as they get nearer. But you know, we can still choose to rejoice. We can still choose to trust. But for you who don't know Jesus, I encourage you again, ask him. And my prayer is that you will find out because I know he will answer that prayer of a sincere heart you will answer that prayer to know him because that's his desire. Thank you.